It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. You're very welcome along to the programme. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. All of the papers today talking about what we are expecting the Taoiseach Micheál Martin to announce after six o'clock this evening. Uh, we know there's to be a meeting today, final cabinet meeting to sign off on what has been agreed. And will there be any surprises when Micheál Martin takes to his feet today. I don't know because I say all of the papers have a lot of detail uh, today and I suppose the main headline one uh, what that what everyone all the commentators are saying is that the vast majority of the COVID-19 restrictions they will be lifted by the 22nd of October so what about another seven weeks to go and then all of the restrictions that have been in place should be done away with and we will then make our way out of our final ever lockdown and may it never come back to us again. The wearing of masks though in certain situations that is looking like it's going to be one of the few pandemic measures that will remain in place past that 22nd of October deadline and I'm thinking and I mentioned this to Ken when I was teeing up the programme in the last hour I think that will sit well with a number of people I think a lot of people will be happy to keep wearing the mask and there will be others and I know there are people who felt they've been discriminated against because they, they don't want to wear the mask they don't like wearing the masks I think none of us like wearing the masks but I think if the way certainly the way I look at it I detest wearing them absolutely detest wearing them but the way I think about it is if I'm wearing it to protect other people and in some way it helps to protect me I know initially we were always told the wearing of masks is mainly done to protect others that if we're shedding any of the coronavirus or indeed any other uh, virus we will stop it we will stop spreading it to other people so I always try to keep that in my mind I'm wearing this to protect other people as much as I do think they offer a little bit of protection to our, ourselves as well and across last year any GP will tell you there was very little coughs and colds and stomach bugs and things like that doing the rounds and that had a lot to do with I know it had a lot to do with the hand hygiene we were all and hopefully we're all still hyper about the hand hygiene but a lot of that had to do with the wearing of masks as well we weren't spreading as many viruses as we normally would when we weren't wearing masks so the masks certainly 
will be remaining in uh, place. So I'm reading from the Irish Independent today. They say the use of the COVID passes for domestic use, that will also end on the 22nd of October. So for indoor dining and anywhere else where they will decide that we will need to use our COVID pass come October the 22nd, that will be gone. And then it will be for everyone. You, anyone will be allowed to go anywhere they want after that, whether they're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Now, from as soon as next Monday, it seems we're going to see increased numbers allowed at indoor and outdoor events. And that's going to be for both vaccinated and unvaccinated. We're expecting to hear about the return of live music at weddings. That got mentioned yesterday on the programme. We're also expected to see the return of communions and confirmations Again, many families have been waiting on dates for that. And I know a lot of schools already tentatively have dates for First Holy Communions and confirmations, allowing that they would get the nod from the government. There's many dates already planned for for, for September, so we can assume that they're going to go ahead. There's also going to be return to the trade exhibitions. The numbers of spectators at sporting events from next month. Bearing in mind, next month starts tomorrow. That's expected to increase to 50% of the stadium's capacity. And I think that is probably the fairest way to do it, rather than saying, you know, we'll allow a thousand people to go into a stadium. If you have a very large stadium, they should be allowed to have more than, say, a smaller stadium. So that's the way it's going to be. 50% will be allowed uh, in. Now, it seems that crunch talks took place at government buildings. It went on, seemingly, for more than four hours last night. The senior ministers were all together deciding which restrictions would be lifted and also trying to tie around with what dates, what was going to be lifted and when. It looks like there's two dates. One is as early as next Monday, that's the 6th of September. And then the second big date is going to be the 20th of September. Lots of people are saying that workers will be able to return to the office. It will be on a phased basis and that will kick off from the 20th of September, despite early indications that it would be a week earlier. They're saying no, it's going to be from the 20th. But that then, I think, gives enough of a lead in for businesses because this will vary, I think, from business to business. These will be the guidelines from the government. Then it will be up to individual businesses how they're going to do it. How are they going to do the return on a phased basis? Will they have people come in two days a week, three days a week? Will they bring half the office back? Will they bring all of the office back? So there's a lot to be decided from a business point of view, particularly the businesses that have large offices, you know, like some of the large offices in the city centre. It's going to be tricky for them to decide who's coming back and when they're coming back and when will they all come back and will they all come back together. So phased phased return to work from September 20th. Bowling and indoor sports that's going to be returning. Now, along with the dance classes, the drama classes and the music classes for children, huge relief to a lot of the stage schools. We've spoken with some of them on the programme of how difficult this whole pandemic has been. And the date for the return of those classes, indoor classes for children, is the 20th of September. And if you are a bingo fan and you have missed your bingo hall and going along to meet up with your friends for a game of bingo, Bingo Hall's also set to reopen and it's looking like that date is also going to be the 20th of September. Now, nightclubs. 
And nightclubs is going to tie in with social dancing because whenever we've tried to find information for some of our listeners who like the to trip the light fantastic at social dancing, we're always told that they fall in under the same remit as nightclubs. Could never really understand it because I really don't think there's the same numbers are involved. So we're going to have to go under nightclubs, I take it, to find any advice on for social dancing. A nightclub pilot scheme is going to take place before the end of September. Now, I don't know how the live entertainment and the entertainment sector are going to take that because I think they're sick of pilots. We've had a number of pilot events and nothing came out of the pilot events and they're going to suddenly hear, oh, here we go, another pilot event. So that's what's been spoken about. Will that get announced this evening? Possibly will. So some kind of a pilot scheme for nightclub date yet to be uh, decided. But it looks like the organisers of that pilot event will engage with officials in London and Denmark because nightclubs in London and in Denmark are already reopened. So they'll take a look at how they're operating, what they have learned, and then obviously put it into place here in Ireland. According to the papers, a senior source say the reopening of nightclubs will have to be very carefully handled and it's believed that the pilot will return towards the end of October. So there's going to be a bit of a wait there for people heading out to nightclubs. The plan's going to Cabinet today also states that the rest of the restrictions will be removed sometime between mid-October and October 22nd. So that October 22nd date is the final date that the rest of the restrictions will be uh, will be uh, lifted, except for the guidance on the wearing of masks. It's expected that masks will remain for indoor retail. So all of your shopping, they'll remain in place if you want to travel on public transport and they also will remain on in any kind of a healthcare setting. The masks will have to stay on. October 22nd will also likely see the lapsing of the emergency regulations such as the indoor socialising that that will also include the use of the COVID pass for hospitality and we were always told that those emergency regulations which allow a business owner to stop you at the door and ask you do you have a COVID certificate before you've been allowed in we were always told there would be a sunset clause at the end of that the sunset clause being that at some stage they would come to an end. So it's looking like that is going to be 22nd of October. You won't need your COVID pass after that. Both vaccinated and unvaccinated people then will be allowed to go into hotels and restaurants and cafes and they also were told you'll be allowed to organise a house party if that's something that you're looking forward to doing and it will be for both vaccinated and unvaccinated. A senior level source, so many sources speaking to the papers today, says that this date of October 22nd will see the government moving to a model of personal responsibility as opposed to strict re- restrictions. So they will say to us, and this is what what Michal Martin, they'll announce all these things and say from October the 22nd, off you go, all the restrictions will be, will be lifted. But there will be an element of personal responsibility if you assess a situation and you're not comfortable with it. That's where personal responsibility will come into it. And to me, personal responsibility is all going to be about living with COVID. We've heard we're going to have to live with this virus. It's not going to disappear just because everyone is vaccinated. It certainly is not going to disappear because the government have lifted the restrictions. So we will just have to live with it. How will we live with it? It'll be personal responsibility. If you feel comfortable somewhere, then go ahead and do whatever it is. But if you feel uncomfortable in a scenario or a situation, then please don't take part. And obviously all of these things that are going to be announced today after six o'clock by Micheál Martin will come with the caveat that the 
COVID numbers will have to remain manageable. There's also this target of Neffert saying that 90% of the adults need to be fully vaccinated. Now we're on track for that. It will take a few more weeks before we get to that magic number of 90%. The schools are going back. We know that we're going to see a spread of the virus. Will the spread of the virus, while the numbers going up every day in themselves while they're worrying, are not as worrying as an increase in the number of people going into hospital and the knock-on, the number of people ending up in ICU from COVID. They're the figures that everyone's going to be very closely watching. A full cabinet meeting will happen today. They sign off on what is now seen as a very comprehensive plan and that comprehensive plan is to ease all of the remaining uh, restrictions. And as I say, that's what's that's expected what's going to be announced. Will there be more or less added to that? We'll have to wait until after six o'clock today when Micheál Martin takes to his uh, feet. And somebody's asking about public transport. We, we did talk about this yesterday on the programme. Full capacity on public transport that resumes from tomorrow, Wednesday. All public transport will be back to 100%. That has to be in place because we've got the schools back, many of them reopening today, but certainly across this week, all of the schools will be reopened. We'll have students going back to college. And now with this date of September 20th, we have people returning to the offices. Many of those people who've been working from home since the start of the pandemic rely on public transport. So they have to have public transport back up and running at 100%. So that would be from uh, tomorrow. Will I still have to wear a mask on a train and the bus? Absolutely. It certainly is looking like even after that end date of restrictions gone on the 22nd of October, one that will definitely remain in place is the need to wear your mask. John is not happy that the government is talking about the lifting of all of the restrictions by October 22nd. He said the government is asleep at the wheel. There's a new variety of COVID detected in the UK. It's called the Lambda variant. There's been eight cases detected so far in the UK yesterday alone and it seems to be immune to vaccines. Watch this space. Christmas 2020 is on the way. We'll be back in the very same boat. Well, I did say, uh, John, that the while the lifting of all of the restrictions, and I'm imagining that Micheál Martin will mention this uh, today, that the caveat to it is that it is all dependent on COVID numbers remaining manageable. Nobody can predict if there's going to be another variant or not. I mean, we can only hope that there won't be, but who knows with COVID, we just, we literally just don't know. But there has to be some kind of an easing with restrictions and we have to learn to live with it because it is certainly not going to disappear. Another listener says, Fish, what about nursing home visits? I know a nursing home that's only allowing four visits uh, per week. Well, it's it's that's not, not just one nursing home that's only allowing four visits per week. It was back in July, residents at nursing homes and residential care facilities, when they started to open up four visits. It is four visits per week. And this is the recommendation from the HSE, four visits per week from two people at a time. And that's once the care home has a high level of vaccination. I haven't seen, and I've just checked online when that text came in, nothing's changed with regards to that at the moment. Will it change going forward? It may, but at the moment it's remaining in place. But that's the guidelines recommended from the HSE that nursing homes and residential care facilities can have four visits per week from up to two people. So no, I can't say anything. It's 
haven't seen anything unless something gets signed off today and if something gets changed uh, we certainly will bring it to you and then Liz in Kinsale says Trish what about adult amateur drama classes being allowed back rehearsing that's a huge huge hobby for so many people who are involved in their local drama society I'm assuming Liz in Kinsale that you could get back with your friends and start practising for your new play and rehearsing for your new play I would say that's going to be from September the 20th because September the 20th is the date for a lot of the lifting of restrictions on indoor activities and the ones they mention are bowling and indoor sports but they do mention like dance drama music classes for children and the fact that dance drama music classes for children are going to go ahead I'm assuming it will be the same for adults involved in amateur drama because also on that day they say bingo halls will be allowed to open that means the community halls will be opening up and in many cases it's the community halls where local groups local drama groups will meet for rehearsal. So I'm assuming that date is going to be the 20th of uh, September. 1850-333-103. And let me stay in Kinsale because Danny in Kinsale was on by uh, text uh, to say, Patricia, I just got a call from somebody claiming to be from Customs and Revenue. I hung up on them immediately just to let your listeners know those scam artists have not gone away. And actually yesterday... I, I've stopped that all those calls that I was getting from mainly English telephone numbers, all different parts of England and uh, Scotland. And I ended up answering one of them and spoke to the woman. I don't know if you heard me last week talking about this. She was trying to get me to invest in something and I told her a cock and bull story that my husband was a fund manager and she, why would I need to be investing any of my money? Because he was keeping me in the life I was accustomed to. And she realised very quickly that I was playing the fool and she just got off the phone and whether she's blocked me now or not I've stopped getting all those calls which is great but then yesterday I started getting a flurry of text messages to say that I have a package about to arrive and I needed to click on a link No, I didn't click on the link but I did a Google search on my iPad of the link that came in and straight away my i the Google flagged that this site was possibly fraudulent and that they were trying to get me to access for me to pass on personal details to them so to be wary so I was impressed that Google straight away picked up on that so so there's, there's a flurry of text messages still doing, doing the rounds but of course if you're waiting on a package from somewhere that I am at the moment you straight away think oh could that be it because I did get a genuine text message the day before from a courier company to say that they were delivering something to me that was a genuine one but you literally just every time you pick up your phone to look at a text message or to answer a call you're almost acting like Columbo you're like a detective trying to work out is this legit is this real but I think we're right to be in that frame of mind because it does make you stop and think before, and I will never click on any kind of a link that comes in on my phone so just be careful but that was by phone somebody claiming to be customs and revenue Thanks for that. Uh, Danny, who knew exactly what to do, he hung up. John Paul's taking your calls. Hopefully he won't hang up on you. 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Families living in rural areas are once again this year facing problems with concessionary tickets for the school bus to get the latest on this year's school Transport. I'm joined by Cork East at TD, uh, Deputy Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. 
Good morning, Patricia. And this seems to be an annual chat that I have about concessionary bus tickets. Can you start firstly, just I'm always conscious of people who don't quite understand what this is all about. Just explain to people what a concessionary bus ticket is. It's a bit like a lottery system uh, whereby if your student lives within 4.8 kilometres of their nearest primary school, there's an entitlement to a place on a school bus. However, if it is in excess of 4.8 kilometres, you effectively apply for what they call a concessionary ticket and then you're put into a lottery and if there is a surplus of places, then there's an allocation of, of seats thereafter. But what happens is, uh, year after year, there are always quite a number of concessionary tickets issued. And the concessionary ticket for most families would have been granted year on year. But this year in particular, there has been a considerable delay such that uh, a student, call him Tom for the sake of argument, Tom normally gets the concessionary ticket, Tom applies for it, pays for it. Uh, This year what's happened is that Tom has had to wait, school might be starting tomorrow, Wednesday for instance, and Tom has only received notification possibly last night uh, as to his successful application for a concessionary ticket. And what that's causing is a massive amount of stress for parents in particular, because If you don't know right up to the last 24 hours whether or not Tom or your son or daughter is going to get a ticket, and if you are working and your spouse or your partner is working, then not only have you the stress of, you know, the student going back to school, Tom is going back to school, he might be going into an exam year this year, for instance, or, you know, but you don't know whether or not Tom is going to have a place in the school. You're both working as parents. Uh, and then there's the added stress of getting Tom back to school and then thinking about how you're going to get Tom to school if Tom lives more than 4.8 kilometres away. And, and, ho- you- and home again. And home again. Yeah. So it, you might be commuting to Cork, you might be commuting to Limerick or, or wherever. You know, you might be coming from East Cork into the city, wherever it is, wherever you work. Not everybody is working from home these days. A lot of people you know, are still on the road. And if you have the added stress of diverting to the school because you don't have a school bus ticket. It just adds a layer of stress for already hard-pressed families in the current climate. Do we know why there was delays? I know there was uh, an email issued to all of the parents who applied for concessionary tickets uh, apologising for for the delay. But do we know why there was such a delay this year? Well, I'm not going to blame Bosseran for this because Bosseran applies the policy Uh, on behalf of the Department of Education. And the Department of Education carried out a school transport review. And in an extraordinary conclusion, it decided that, you know, the current system uh, should continue and was, my words, you know, fit for purpose. Uh, Now, there is to be, you know, there is a steering group and there's a technical working group and they recommend the existence or the, the continuation of the pre-existing scheme. And there, there's a full review pending. But until such time as you have a full review where you look closely at the whole issue of the granting of concessionary tickets and looking to overhaul that and change the policy nationally so that 
you know, any student can get a place on a school bus and you create the demand for it, uh, then we're on a hiding to nothing and we'll be having this same conversation again next year, Patricia. Is it so, always oversubscribed? It, it, it's always... Well, certain routes will be oversubscribed and certain routes will, will actually be undersubscribed okay. and certain routes will, you'll have demand meeting supply, you know, in an exact fashion. But the scheme itself is about 224 million euros. And I'm not convinced that, you know, that the, the current scheme is fit for purpose. I think that if you brought in, you know, the, the public transport system, if you brought in the private operators, if you had a proper discussion about creating a new system whereby every student could get on a school bus if they so wished. You could create the demand for that. And the win in all of that is that you you don't have cars congregating at post-primary schools in Mm. particular, creating pressure points in towns throughout you know, the, the county of Cork at certain points of the day where there's already pressures on traffic in certain towns. And you would naturally... You know, there's the win for parents in that, you know, a student gets on a bus, you know when the student is getting on the bus, you know when the student is coming home, and there's certainty around that. And, you know, I think it would take a lot of pressure off parents in particular, and I think also there's the self-evident benefits in in respect of, you know, lessening the number of cars on the road at certain points during the day, and there's also what I call the climate mitigation uh, effects of yeah, that it's, as well it's, it's a win-win and, and you did men- mention that uh, for for poor old Tom getting on the school bus his mummy or daddy paid for the ticket this isn't free well it's not free you pay for the service and there are concessions say for medical heart holders for instance but you know mo- most parents will the vast majority of parents will pay for this I mean there's there's approximately 114,000 students get on buses every day throughout the country and then you have a special allocation as well for for people with you know uh, additional educational needs uh, and and the budget is as i said it, it's it's climbing up to nearly quarter of a billion euros on an annual basis but i think that parents would be willing to pay i mean the evidence is there because they're already paying for the tickets uh, and i think it would take a lot of stress off parents right throughout the country right throughout the county of cork if you had a system whereby ideally you wouldn't have a concessionary type system. You would change the rules in relation to the, uh, you know, the distance criteria for of 4.8 kilometres and 3.2. The whole thing is, it, it, it's anachronistic. It, it's an old system. It needs to be looked at, yeah. Because yeah. people are living differently now. And has, has, has everybody now at this stage found out whether their child is on the bus or not? Well, well thankfully, uh, the countless numbers of people that we're dealing with the vast majority of them now have clarity and we've had a flood of emails in this morning whereby parents were notified uh, yesterday evening that their son or daughter you know has received their ticket or sons and daughters because more often than not you families traveling uh, on buses however there are we still have a number of cases of standing that we're pursuing it okay and, and i know in the past i've dealt with families sean where one child got the bus ticket and the other one didn't and that's the arbitrary nature of all of this, where you're applying in a lottery system for a concessionary ticket. Inevitably, it creates exceptions where one child gets left behind. And and that's the madness of the system. But I, I think if, if you were to start now with an, a, an honest review 
that brought in the private operators at a time when private operators are, you know, have buses parked up throughout the country and, and are relying on, you know, the, the, you know, they didn't have a summer. Uh, so there's a massive loss of income there in relation to coach tours and bus tours and so on. You know, they would, they, they've already proven that they can deliver the service and similarly with public transport. But there has to be a meeting of minds as between the public transport operators and the private transport operators okay. on this. Uh, it, it's, it's all well and good. It, I mean, ideologically or politically, you'd say the ideal thing would be that you'd have a you know wholly owned public transport system, but that doesn't always work in rural areas. You have to allow for the fact that you would have to have you know private operators, and there's nothing wrong with that per se. But I think the the, the overarching theme here would be that even in towns, you could de- deliver, uh, you know, you could transport students even within towns if you got rid of the 4.8-kilometre post-primary rule or the 3.2-kilometre uh, distance uh, you know, primary school rule, because it would mean that more people would be getting on buses. Yeah, and, and, I think and anyone the, who has to commute, commute in the morning and pass schools, as I do, will know it's just and can be a nightmare in the morning. And throw a wet morning into it and it just it, it goes it goes completely well, uh, pear-shaped. Okay, it's a nightmare for residents living in certain areas. Yeah. It's a nightmare for parents and it's a nightmare for students. So there is a way of solving this. Yeah, OK. And just very finally, uh, Sean, a listener wants to know, and I actually had this marked, I said I'd ask Sean, why the Mallow Bridge wasn't closed for the full weekend last weekend, as was advertised. Does Sean Charlotte know anything about it? I know it's to close again this weekend. It's to close again this weekend. I, I don't honestly know the answer as to why it was closed for, it wasn't closed for the entirety of the weekend. That. I'll give you a straight answer to that, Patricia. Okay, right. Okay, Sorry. and I know, I know John Paul was... <laughs> I'm not going to take to blood. That's okay. I know John Paul was going to get on to the council to find out why, because it closed Friday night. They did the work that needed to be done, but then it was open for the duration. It was just one listener uh, contacted us who was very annoyed because she spent her whole weekend going the long way around rather than because she thought the bridge was closed and only found out on Monday that it had reopened on Saturday morning. Okay, listen, we leave it there, Sean. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks Thank for joining you, us on, on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Cork East uh, Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock. Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie Last week many listeners were upset to hear the Dogs Trust in Dublin were receiving so many calls from people who wanted to surrender their dogs well it seems the problem is not just confined to the greater Dublin area because the Cork Dog Charity is also seeing a huge volume of dog surrenders uh, one of their volunteers Mary O'Sullivan uh, joins me. Good morning to Mary. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, it's Moira. Moira, sorry, no my problem. apologies. Uh, are you seeing a particular surge in the age of a dog that people want to surrender? Um, we're definitely seeing more dogs in the one year to 18 months age group, which would essentially be pandemic puppies. Um, but overall, we're getting um, sort of four to five calls a day, which is uh, very abnormal for us. And these dogs would have arrived, judging by their age, at the start of the pandemic. People sort of thought, going to be home a lot. This is a good time to take on board a puppy. Yeah, well, given that a puppy needs to be sort of three months old or, or four months old before you take it home anyway, um, any dog sort of in the 18 months to, to one year age, age bracket, we would pretty much be thinking, mm, yeah, pandemic puppy. <laughs> and is that the age group where if a dog is going to start playing up or develop bad habits, that's when you're going to see them? Well, they're also essentially teenagers okay. at that age. Um, so you would expect to see a lot of sort of testing their limits 
limits and boundaries and trying out uh, new behaviours at that age. Um, it is, having had uh, puppies myself, it is one of the more difficult sort of phases that they go through. Um, so, yes, it's it's often an age where you see one. But we, um, we've also seen people, you know, surrendering um, extremely large breeds and saying that they're very big and strong. Um, we've um, seen, you know, very beautifully behaved dogs where people are just sort of um, done with them now because they have um, things to be done with, I guess. Um, so there's all kinds of dogs. Um, for all different reasons, but the the sort of core reason that we're seeing at Cork Dog Action Welfare Group is um, people are going back to work and they don't have the time or the energy to put into their dogs. Why didn't they think about that at the start, though, Maura? I mean, it's just, I mean, you're thinking of this poor little dog who's probably bonded hugely with the family and suddenly it's almost like they're surplus to, to requirement because I'm leading a busy life and I need to go back to the office. Um, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we, we warned people about this last year. But more than that, there's there's a lot of things you can do now if, you know, if, if you have the, if you want, want to put some time, energy and often money into it. There are things like doggy daycare. Um, you could have a dog trainer come um, and help you deal with any kind of separation anxiety because a lot of these dogs will have never learned to be on their own. Um, but there are certainly steps you can take. And we've had some dogs with some pretty severe separation anxiety that have really benefited from positive reinforcement training, um, things like crate training, things like being given Kongs when you're going out. And of course, you know, doggy daycare, dog walkers coming to the house if you have a long day. And the separation anxiety in a dog, would that lead then to the dog exhibiting challenging behaviours like you'll come home and all your shoes have been chewed up? <laughs> uh, is, yeah, is that kind get- of some of the stuff that can happen? Yeah, both both boredom and separation anxiety can be two behaviours. Um, so that could be tearing up your garden or it could be, um, you know, finding comfort in, in making a baby or a choo-choo. <laughs> and of course, this dog has been used to seeing you and maybe the children and having company all day and suddenly everybody's disappeared. It's It can be a very lonely time for the dog. Yeah, exactly. And I know that, you know, both ourselves and the Dogs Trust and lots of other dog charities um, sort of put out advice last year on teaching a dog, you know, how to be okay while you run out of the shop. Then maybe while you go out for an hour, then maybe while you go out for two hours. Um, because dogs do need to, you know, puppies are essentially babies. And it's a certain amount of, you know, learning to entertain themselves, learning to sort of soothe themselves when they get a bit anxious. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of dogs sort of haven't had that training. But mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely not too late to embark on it now. Yeah, but so don't can, jump straight in with, oh, we've got to surrender the dog. Um, I would say, I would say, obviously, you know, if you have to surrender the dog, that's fair enough. Um, please don't put the dog, you know, free to a good home or, um, you know, simply dump it in the countryside, which unfortunately we also see happening. Oh. Um, so absolutely, if, if your last resort is to surrender, you know, we're here. Um, we do have a bit of a waiting list at the moment of people waiting to surrender their dogs. Um, but we are actively rehoming dogs. Um, so, so please do take that that sort of step if it needs to be taken. Um, but before you do that, maybe think about looking at a positive reinforcement dog trainer, you know, thinking about whether you can, you know, maybe pay someone to come in two days a week to walk the dog while you're at work. Maybe look at doggy daycare. Um, and I just would say myself, like, I, I, I don't understand, like, I could never give up my dogs. So oh, no. Um, no, I, I, I just, think there I... must be a lot of people whose hearts are broken and think best for the dog mm. but actually there, there are other ways out of it if you if you put in the work yeah and as you say there was of course dog training didn't go ahead 
during yeah. the pandemic. And I even heard our own President Mike T. Higgins with because he got his, his new big dog during yeah. the pandemic. And, and normally he would have training on the dog and the, the dog was bounding around poor old President Macron from France and he got knocked over. But he had to <laughs> apologise and say we just haven't been able to get the dog to the trainer. But yeah. we will. And, 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 you know, a well-trained dog and a happy dog will be fine. Absolutely. I mean, my two are, are right now asleep on the floor. I mean, they're older dogs, but they're asleep on the floor. If I left the house now, I don't think they'd even, even notice, to be honest. <laughs> Your <laughs> so, one is gone. <laughs> yeah, just be like, oh, right, we can get on the couch now. She's yeah, there. yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no one around to tell us, get off the, get off the couch. Exactly. Uh, I was also interested to hear you say, do not advertise your dog free to a good home. Are you Absolutely. fearful where some of the dogs could end up? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we, you know, obviously I don't want to get into details, but okay. we've seen horrific cases over the last few years um, of dogs who have been um, sort of rehomed with not a lot of thought put into it. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a good situation for a dog to find themselves in. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, if you want to do rehoming, absolutely fine, but contact a reputable organization who conduct home checks. Um, who will look into the background of the people that they're that are taking the dog? Because unfortunately, we know that there are people out there who will take dogs for nefarious purposes. Yeah, say. yeah. And the other thing I picked up when you say somebody surrendering a dog, it suddenly got big and strong. That's got <laughs> a lot to do with doing, if, particularly if you're taking on a pup. You can get a little ball of fluff arrives to your home at three months of age. You need to know, research the breed of the dog. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I suppose the other thing is that last year the demand for dogs was so high. I mean, I remember seeing Jack Russell puppies going for 5,000 or something at the height of the pandemic. And usually you couldn't be giving away Jack Russell puppies because <laughs> um, they're, they're so common in Ireland. Um, but, you know, people were purchasing dogs from um, from backyard breeders, from puppy farms, from, from puppy mills. Um, and, you know, they may have been told that the dog was... Um, a poodle, a purebred poodle. Uh, and, you know, it turns out, of course, there's they're nothing of the sort. Um, so we definitely have seen people who've kind of gotten surprises. Um, so again, you know, either adopt or go through a reputable breeder, um, you know, where you can see um, that the parents are happy and healthy, um, you know, and, and, and most rescues now have a surplus of dogs, again, as opposed to last year when people were, we were getting about a thousand applications for a dog. I know, I know. And how is your rehoming program going at the moment, Maura? Um, it's good, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, there's still, still some difficulties um, with carrying out home checks and things like that. Um, but things are going um, going well. Um, we have, you know, lots of lovely dogs. If people want to look at our website, it's dogactionwelfaregroup.ie. Um, and, you know, as, as much as you hear people saying, oh, you know, we're giving up the dog, and as much as we're getting requests like that, um, there are also people who are, you know, really wonderful and are like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd love to foster a dog to keep my pandemic puppy entertained. We'd love to, mm. you know, um, help you out by fostering and things like that. So there are 
um, people who are maybe having <laughs> better ideas <laughs> about well how to entertain the dog. <laughs> well done, you do you do fantastic work um, at uh, the Dog Action Welfare Group, Dog. Uh, so continue good luck uh, with the work that you do, Maura. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to, to you. Bye bye, uh, Maura O'Sullivan there of Dog Action Welfare Group. Check them out if you're interested in rehoming a dog at dogactionwelfaregroup.ie. Our listener wants to know: Does anybody know where this lady? can get antigen test kits in Cork to actually buy the antigen test kits. Uh, do chemist shops sell antigen test kits? Anyway, does anybody know? Has anybody recently bought? She just says, the text just says in Cork. So anywhere in Cork, have you bought antigen test kits? If so, can you let us know where you purchased them, please? Or if you've seen them on sale, let us know so we can pass the information on to this listener who's looking to buy antigen test uh, kits. We need to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we have an interesting chat with the solicitor and this is to do with changes in the law to do with right of ways. Now lots of people will drive in a right of way every day. We don't even think about it. People use it to get to work. People use it to get from to maybe an area of their farm. People use it as a shortcut. But it's right away in your area and you use it without thinking. Uh, there's was a change in the law a number of years ago and there's a deadline approaching that we need to discuss. We'll discuss that and more in the next hour. Court Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Anybody help out Nula, please. Nula is having a surprise birthday party in the Skibbereen area on Saturday night and she is trying to hire a marquee in which to hold the party in. Now, she's willing to pay and, and rent the marquee as you would normally do, but she can't get a marquee locally for love nor money. Every company she's contacted locally are all booked out and uh, doesn't have one available for Saturday night. Anywhere in Cork, please. Anula said they're even willing to travel to collect the marquee and erect it themselves if needs be. So I'm assuming it isn't a very large marquee that Nula is looking for. So does anybody know of marquees available for rent? Now it's short notice because it's for this Saturday night. We have Nula's contact details. If anybody can help there, please 1850 And thank you to a huge number of people when I mentioned the antigen test. Somebody wants to buy antigen tests and wondering where are they on sale here in Cork? number of people, including Trish in Blackpool, was on to say Aldi have them on sale. Al, Trish was in her local Aldi store in Blackpool and she says that they're available near the counter. She can actually tell you where they are. They're around €19, Euro, I'm assuming, for a box of three, is it? number of people saying they've seen them on sale in Aldi. Somebody else reckons they saw them on sale in Lidl. Margaret and Kilworth said Walsh's in Formoy have them on sale. A couple of people actually are saying if you go into your local chemist, a lot of chemists are selling antigen tests. Somebody said the garage shop in Douglas Village have lots of antigen tests for uh, sale. And uh, someone else is wondering why pharmacies are not giving them out for free because in the United Kingdom one texter says the, a pharmacy will hand you out three text, test kits 
per person and you get them for free. They introduced that a couple of months ago, I think, in the UK. I think when figures were getting very high, that's what they did. It was a government funded scheme, obviously, whereby you could go into your local pharmacy, pick up a box of antigen tests and they wanted people to self-test at home. And then, of course, if they got a positive result on the antigen test, you then you can get a false positive as well. But they wanted then people to go forward and get tested for COVID-19. I don't know if that scheme is still in place. It certainly was a number of months ago. But anyway, lots of places seem to be selling antigen test uh, kits. Aldi, little. Somebody says yeah, there are five in the box in Aldi. Oh, thank you. And it's nineteen ninety five, so it's twenty euro for a box of five in any of your Aldi stores. And as I say, try a local chemist as well. People are saying they're available there. Now we were talking about dogs being surrendered, and I still think it's heartbreaking to think of a, a dog who doesn't quite understand why he's been surrendered. And you know, listening to Maura, whole host of different reasons. Sometimes the dog is just at that teenage stage and just needs to be managed and once you get over that teenage stage the dog will settle down and will become your friend for life. Heidi who is obviously a dog lover says she cannot understand this. People wanting to take on a dog and not doing the investigation into the type of dog that they're getting or if the dog is going to be suitable uh, for them. You need to do a lot of research before you take on board a dog. Heidi makes the point that animals have feelings too. Let's not forget that and how right you are uh, to say that and I yeah, I think it's absolutely heartbreaking when somebody has to, has to or feels they're in a position that they have to surrender. What I don't like are people who took on these dogs just to sort of, oh, it'll get us over the pandemic, it'll get us out exercising and suddenly now, oh, this dog isn't fitting in with our lifestyle. You know, you really think, why did they take on the dog in the first place or the other one and I mentioned it to Maura was somebody taking on a breed of dog that started out as a small little cuddly little puppy and then ended up to be a huge big dog do your research on you know the type of dog that you're bringing into the house and know what that dog is going to be like when it goes to adult size to make sure that it is suitable so yes you're right a lot of research needs to be done when it comes to uh, taking a dog because a dog is for life uh, for sure Hi Patricia, this is on the school buses when we talk about the concessionary tickets. One school bus could take anything between 25 and 50 cars off the roads. Where's the Green Party in all of this? We need more school buses, says Ross. Tell them leave our rural one-off houses alone, but what we need instead is more buses. And Sean Sherlock, when I was talking to him about it, he made that point as well, that if we had more school buses, not just the school buses to bring people from rural areas into town, but if we even had more school buses in towns, because large towns, you can have a school, you can have pupils going from one side of the town to the other side of the town, a mummy and daddy driving them in the morning and everybody seems to get driven to school. We certainly, I certainly was of the generation where we walked. There was probably very few cars pulled up outside our school gates. A lot of people cycled. I don't know how many people cycled to school today. People would say the roads aren't that safe though. But for the majority of us, hail, rain or snow, we walked. No matter how far away the school was, but that is not the way it is today. There's a huge volume of cars on our road and I could already see it this morning and this morning even the schools that I have to negotiate and pass on my way uh, to work they're not even all fully open yet so I was just driving this morning thinking this is only going to get worse but we just have to put up with this that's the w- that's the way it is unless we can get to a situation where we have more school buses on the roads thank you for your text Ross to 0862 103 103 and on the lifting of restrictions that I mentioned and how we are awaiting our, the Taoiseach Micheál Martin this evening to 
formally tell us exactly what is happening. The cabinet meeting is going to happen. Full cabinet meeting happens today. And then after six o'clock today, the Taoiseach will address the nation to tell us all about the lifting of restrictions. And it's looking like the 20s. There's a lot of dates we're going to have to keep in mind. But the 22nd of October is the one where we will see all of the restrictions lifted bar, say, the wearing of uh, masks. But there's a couple of other dates coming up, including from next Monday, there's going to be an easing of restrictions. And certainly from the 20th of September, a lot of movement happening around that date because that's the date when workers will be able to return to the office because so many people are still under that restriction of work from home where it is possible. And these are people that have been working from home since the start of the pandemic. It has suited a lot of people hasn't suited everybody else. So I imagine there'll be a lot of discussions going on in households when the Taoiseach makes the formal announcement today and then a lot of discussions between employees and employers. Many employers will want all their employees back at the office. Some employees mightn't want to go back to the office. So there'll be a lot of discussions to be held uh, for sure. Patricia, you mentioned indoor bowls in the last hour. Could you tell us what that was about, uh, please? Well, bowling along with indoor sports is going to return from the 20th of September so if you are an indoor bowls fan and I take it from your text you are you'll be able to get back indoor bowling on the 20th of uh, September Patricia hi it's great the restrictions are going away yes we have to learn to live with the coronavirus a little bit like we live with the flu every year let's get on with it let's get our lives back on track and if people don't like it then guess what they can stay indoors and that's got to do I'm assuming with the personal responsibility if you're not happy going somewhere then just don't do it do the activities and go to the venues where you feel safe and that I suppose is all about learning to live with uh, live with COVID-19 how many can attend a wedding I, I can't give you a definitive answer on that because I do know from next Monday this is one of the earlier changes to come in next Monday is the 6th of September and we've been been told there will be increased numbers allowed for indoor and outdoor events and that's going to be for both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. So do I take it from that? There will be an increased number of an increase in the numbers allowed at a wedding at the moment it's at 100 if they're increasing numbers from next Monday do I take it that numbers you can have extra numbers at, at your wedding let's wait and see what Michal Martin announced today Today, I do know the one change that we're going to hear about and it is from next Monday for weddings live music will be allowed at weddings so that's a change for anybody that's organising and has a wedding planned following next Monday they will be able to have the live the wedding band and that certainly is good news for the people involved in the wedding band industry who haven't been able to work since the start of the pandemic the pandemic. And then somebody had asked me to check out about nursing home and nursing home visits. And we're making the point that they're only allowed four visits a week and did we hear or see anything that that's going to be increased? And I've gone through everything that has been leaked out so far and there's no mention of nursing home visits. Uh, but when I checked, the actual regulations on the nursing home visits are that nursing home and residential care residents 
residential care residents yeah, can receive up to four visits uh, per week once the care facility is a high level of vaccination. That seems to be happening in most nursing homes. People are allowed four visits a week. But Jane then has been on to us to say the nursing home that she goes to visit, where obviously she has a loved one uh, living at the moment. She said, I'm only uh, allowed two visits a week and it's two visits a week for one hour. I think from what I can gather, I mean, I'm reading from the HSE's website on the visiting nursing homes and residential care facilities. And it states that nursing home residents may receive. It doesn't say they have to receive up to four visits. They may receive up to four visits per week. Up to two people can visit at a time. The visits do not need to be by the same person each time. And visits can usually be at least one hour talk to staff if you want a longer visit but that is going to vary from nursing home to nursing home because I take it nursing homes are going to be reliant on the number of staff they have available it's going to be I mean obviously if then if there's any kind of a COVID outbreak I'm assuming all visits get terminated immediately but it's an individual choice on each nursing home what happens is the HSC they put the guidelines in place and these are the recommendations and the recommendations are that you can have up to four visits. We've had a number of people say that yes, they are getting four visits per week with their loved ones and some people find that hard because some people would have gone into if... For example, I'm thinking of a husband and wife scenario and say the husband ends up in, in the nursing home. On many occasions pre the pandemic, the wife would have gone in every single day to spend some level of time with a much loved husband. We see it with parents when they go into nursing home care. Family members will make sure there's a visitor every day. That's the way it was. And, you know, nursing homes were very welcoming of visitors. But of course, all of that changed in March of uh, last year. So now we're back with up to four visits. Some people think the four visits are great and they don't have an issue with it. But for others, yeah, they want more visits, I suggest. If you're only getting two visits, Jane, and do I take it from the tone of your text, you would prefer more, I would suggest having a chat with the with the management of the nursing home where your loved one is to see if that can be increased and find out why you're only getting two when the recommendations are that you are allowed up to four. 1850 333 and I want to bring you a, a listener who's contacted us. This is to do with banks. Now we know anybody going into banks at the moment will bemoan the fact that you can't go and speak with a teller and that a lot of banks now are gone automated and people don't like that, that you've got to go in and you're dealing with the machine and banks are saying this is the way forward you know and it's all people are constantly saying that this has all been introduced because banks don't want people physically in their building they want us all doing our banking online banks themselves say that the footfall is down but I argue of course the footfall was down because when you took those surveys you did it during a pandemic when we were in lockdown so of course footfall was going to be down but anyway some say did they use COVID in order to terminate a lot of the services that were once always available to us in the bank. So Catherine went into her local AIB branch to print off her own statements and she said there was a sign up and she kind of got a bit of a surprise saying that you're no longer able to print off statements. Here's what Catherine told us. I saw on a notice that um, on the kiosk that you won't be able to print off, um, you know, the statements anymore, which is a joke because um, not everyone, and they said you can use the internet or whatever or get them on the internet, but not everyone has internet, cannot afford internet, you know yourself, can't afford these devices and I said, I went in and went up to one of the ladies 
And she said, well, that's coming into September because people were printing off like years statements for 12 months or years and years. And I said to myself, when I looked at the, in my, um, use the kiosk, you can't do that. The 12 months, you can only print, like say three months or six months. But I just think it's an absolute disgrace. Um, the banks, uh, financial institutions are leaving people behind. The very people that bailed them out in 2008, it's an absolute disgrace because not everyone, you know, I don't find the internet secure and I don't have internet or any of these facilities. People will be able to go in and use the kiosk and print three months, but if you want a statement, you have to order it or should my advice to people is just keep them. Yeah, and I think if you have to order it, you possibly have to pay for it uh, as well. And Catherine, you know, making the point that not everybody has a printer at home, which is a very valid point uh, as well. And not everybody has access to the Internet in order to print off the statements. So we've put an email, we've sent an email off to, this is AIB. I don't know if this now, often what happens is that when one bank introduces this, it'll be introduced to a number of other banks as well. So we've sent an email off to AIB just to find out why people are no longer being allowed to print off their statements when they physically go into the bank, into one of the kiosks, if you want to print them off. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking new calls. C103 Jobs. Person wanted for a Mallow betting shop. Now, you do need to be computer literate and to have experience in handling cash. Canteen staff are required to work 12 to 2 p.m. school term in the Bandon area and a chef is also required for various locations, but primarily you'll be based in Bandon and Fomoy areas. Childcare assistant required that for the Drimmer League area, and general labourers are wanted for immediate start in Cork City and suburbs. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And on surrendering animals, Margaret said, I've nine dogs and three horses. I had some surgery done a number of weeks ago and my surgeon told me to downsize. How could I give away any one of my beautiful best friends? They're the ones that I see every single day. Couldn't even consider surrendering one of my much loved pets. And that's a that's a quite a, a household there. Nine dogs and three horses. Uh, so well done, Margaret. And uh, hopefully you're making a recovery uh, after your surgery. And on the lady looking for a uh, the tent, uh, Elizabeth is uh, saying, uh, Patricia, here's a suggestion. Why not try B and Q or Woody's in Blackpool for a party? tent. You can purchase a party tent. They're big enough. Ring first just to make sure that they have them in uh, stock. They're between 80 and 100 euro and then she'll always have it. Now I don't quite know what a party tent is but it sounds like it's some kind of a a marquee of sorts and yeah and when you're renting a marquee it'll probably cost you that and more so it is a suggestion coming in from uh, Elizabeth thank you for that so she reckons stores hard like the larger hardware stores sell them they're called party tents so if our listener wants to ring around and see if she can purchase her own party tent it's certainly worth a try thank you for that Elizabeth now in 2009 there was a change in the law in relation to rights of way the issue 
has suddenly become more important because there's a deadline of December 1st of this year for registering right-of-ways under the current but ongoing system. To explain more, I'm joined by Solicitor Karen Walsh of Walsh & Partners Solicitors. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, firstly, start by explaining what is a right-of-way and do many of us use them without even really thinking about them? So there's there's many people that have rights of way and enjoy them without ever really thinking about them or really appreciating them probably until someone tries to take it away from you. So you may have, for example, accessed your house or farmland through another neighbour's private property, through a private lane or roadway that's not taken in charge by the local authority and that you use to benefit your property and that you've been using so, for example, so a prescriptive right-of-way is a right-of-way that one has been using for 20 years and upwards without interruption and without any agreement or contract continuously and without any interruption. And so you, you acquire a prescriptive right-of-way on that basis. So, And then what changes were introduced? It's under the Land and Conveyancing Law Reform Act of 2009. So this act attempted to simplify the law regarding um, rights of way by prescription. So the, the, the Act changed the law in relation to the length of time needed to establish a right of way and provides for a new user period of 12 years. So just as, I suppose, to break it down simply, so up until the 31st of November of this year, a person claiming a right of way by long user will can continue to claim a right of way under, this, under the Prescription Act must establish they have used the right of way for a minimum of 20 years. So that many people would be using rights of way from predecessors in title. They might have inherited land. They might be using the same right of way for 80, 100 years. Mm. So so in de- in December, um, the so the person will rely, what can be relied on then is the 12 years um, from the 1st of December 2021 so the 12 years up until the date of your application. So the first claim would be from the 1st of December 2021 based on use commencing from the 1st of December 2009. So so you're saying people now need to register the right-of-way and if you don't register the right-of-way, could the landowner then stop you using it? The, so if you don't, I suppose the main consequence is if you don't, I mean, ideally it should you should try and register it before the deadline because you can rely on 20 years if you've been using it for if you've been using it for 80 years you can rely on all that user period mm. um, and, and also I suppose if you're dealing with someone if you if, if whoever owns this roadway or pathway if you have a good relationship with them um, and you don't know who's going to inherit that land in time I mean you would be well advised to, to, to try and register it and have it registered on your title yeah, um, because the argument, sure, my neighbour would never stop me using the laneway. But that could be a problem if the my neighbour, in years to come, God forbid, passes away and no longer owns the laneway and somebody else moves in. Yes, and they could. Then you might be dealing with someone who may cause... Now, if you have a prescriptive right away, you have that right. It's just your right may, is not registered. So you have acquired that right. and um, So no one can stop you going up and down and using this right of way. Um, but it's just the significance is now they want the Conveyancing Act wants it all registered on your title, and because banks prefer it, and that the right away is registered, purchasers, solicitors will ask is the right away registered. So, 
So, and also, I suppose it's there. If there's ever a dispute about it, you're certainly in a stronger position if you're right away as registered than mm-hmm. unregistered. If someone tries to block your access, if someone tr- sends you a solicitor's letter saying you're, you can't go up and down there or you shouldn't be going up and down that road. And if you're dealing with a landowner in time who you don't have a good relationship with, yeah, um, and, and we know that people fall out with neighbours, even within families, people can fall out with each other and someone might decide to get a bit bulchy about the about the right-of-way. How does one go about registering a right-of-way? So at the moment, there's three ways you can go about registering. So I suppose the easiest way to explain it is by an example. So let's say Johnny has been using accessing a part of his farmland for 80 years through um, one person's land, a neighbour. And let's say they have a good relationship um, or maybe not. Um, but so the easiest way to do it is what I tell so is to tell all clients is if you have a good relationship, you call to your neighbour, you say you'd like to formalise the position as it exists on the ground and register your right of way. And would they be agreeable to signing a deed of right of way that would be drafted by Johnny's solicitor? And if they say yes, then a deed would be prepared, a map would be prepared showing the route of the right of way. Um, the the neighbour would be written to giving a copy of the deed advised that they should seek independent advice. Um, normally, Johnny would pay the neighbour's costs, the legal costs, because there's no benefit to the landowner really executing the deed of right away. They shouldn't have to incur legal fees if it's no benefit to them. So, And then the right is executed. It's lodged in the land registry, and it's there forever on the title. And is it that's, expensive? It's not expensive. It, that's, that's the easiest way of getting a right away so, registered and the cheapest um, way of getting a right away registered because it's all done by agreement. Okay, but what, um, but what if Johnny's neighbour says, no, I don't want you accessing my laneway? So if Johnny says, actually, uh, I don't want you, I don't want to sign a deed of right of way, so you will have to ask, your solicitor then will advise, will advise Johnny, and the, he will, Johnny will have to be written to formally then saying, stating that you have been using this land for 60, 70, 80 years, You've been, you have acquired a prescriptive right, there's been no interruption, there was no agreement, there was no consent given this right away. He's used it, Johnny's used it continuously, calling upon him now to sign a deed. And eventually, you'll have to send a few letters giving the neighbour time to consider it and get advice and, yeah. and to consider the position. And eventually, you may have to threaten court proceedings to, if he's not agreeable to signing a right of way. Because Johnny has acquired the right, he has the right, it's just not registered. So, it's 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 not for the the landowner who's who, where the right away is to um to, to to dispute that if Johnny has satisfied that he has acquired a prescriptive right away the the landowner may say well you haven't acquired a prescriptive right away and I suppose that's that's something then that may end up in court and it comes down to oral evidence um as to whether this right has has actually been acquired by prescription. Okay, what about a listener who says, I don't want my neighbour using our laneway. He only uses it because it shortens his journey from accessing one side of his farm to the other side. He could go another way, but it's a longer route. Is that a right of way? So he's if, doing if, it to shorten if, his trip. If Well, if, if he's using it to shorten, but if, it's not really whether or not he's using it to shorten his trip or whether he's another access. The, the question is, has this man been using it continuously without interruption, without agreement, without a contract for, for upwards of 20 years? Then this man has acquired a prescriptive right of way. Yeah. Someone and else says, what do you do if somebody blocks off your right of way? What do well, you do? Well, if you have a prescriptive right of way, you need to instruct your solicitor to write. To, you need to ask your neighbour kindly to remove the gate or whatever else has been put up 
or, or, or to give you a key to the gate um, to, to, to not interfere with, impede your access, to interfere with your right of way. If, if he doesn't agree to that, then you need to instruct your solicitor to send a letter to him. But um, there's, there's an exact example of why you need to register a right of way. If, you've, if that person has registered their right of way, then they, that person can't be blocked from using it. Yes. The, sorry, I mentioned there was three ways of registering your right of way. So the third option that's available is you can lodge a land registry application it means you don't have to call to your neighbour and ask them, will they sign a deed of right of way? The difficulty with that application is the landowner who's, who, where the right of way exists doesn't have to consent to it, but the land registry will write out to that landowner and, uh, and give him an opportunity to lodge a, a legal objection. And if there's a legal objection lodged and it's valid, the land registry feel it's valid, the land registry will reject the application and you're almost back to square one. And, and the deadline could have passed also. What happens if a right-of-way is only visited once a year, says a listener? You have to be using, for prescription, you have to be using, you have to be using a right-of-way continuously without an interruption. It's, it's, it has to be used on a regular basis for it to be a right-of-way. Um, okay, another listener says, what if you want to build and you need to get planning permission? Can you get it if both owners are using the same entrance? If both, well, both owners, if you've been using that entrance, if you've been using that entrance, I mean, a few people will use the right of way. It could be the land owner who owns it. And but a few people will use the right of way. But it depends on, it comes down to your particular circumstance. Have you been using it for 20 years? Have you acquired a prescriptive right? And, and, and he, you may share that access with the, with the owner of that, of the, that particular land. Is it going to affect people going for a mortgage to, to build a house, for example, if so, there isn't a re- registered right of way? Yes, it will. Yeah. It, 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 so, so banks don't like unregistered rights of way and purchaser solicitors now are, are going to be asking in pre-contract inquiries is the, is, and, and have been doing so since this act came in, is the right of way registered? A right of way registered is far more attractive than an unregistered right of way from a conveyancing point of view, from a bank point of view. There is no, there will be no dis- dispute once it's registered it's crystal clear then on the terms of the right of way the, 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 I suppose the type of usage whether it's residential, agricultural, commercial all purposes so certainly it is if, you, if you're trying to sell land in the, if you're planning to sell land now in the next few months the next few years and you have an unregistered right of way you'd be well advised to register yeah, in advance yeah, and, to put it on the market Yeah and as, as you say I mean in the majority of cases the neighbours will be fine about it, but you just, you know, you can get people who just don't get on for whatever reason. And this deadline is important. It's the 1st of December 2021. The 30th of November, the new um, regime comes in on the 1st of December. Oh, sorry. So the 30th of November is is the date for registering. So your advice is contact your solicitor, Karen. Yes. And and if you think, if you also... Don't assume you're right, a right is registered. Double check your deeds. Get your solicitor to double check your deeds. And then if it's not registered, you need to take steps um, because it can take time depending. Every situation is different. And also you could be dealing with a few landowners. I, my example was quite simplified. There was only one landowner involved. You could be dealing with four or five landowners. All using the same right away. Yeah. Well, okay. all owning a bit of the oh, right of way, oh, if you okay. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, the laneway could, could go, could stretch down a good bit. Yeah, goodness yes. me, bit of a nightmare. Okay, listen, Karen, good words of advice. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. 
Okay, thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Karen Walsh of Walsh and Partners uh, Solicitors based in Dublin and in uh, Cork. Check out your right of way, please. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The Green Party is strongly opposed to building large numbers of one-off rural houses, claiming this type of development has a social and environmental cost and has contributed to the hollowing out of rural towns. Green Party Cork City Councillor Dan Boyle joins me to discuss this further. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, the junior housing minister, Peter Burke, last week said he believes one in four homes should be in rural areas outside of towns and villages. Your partners in government have a very different view, don't they? Well, actually, he believes that uh, the current levels of 25% of all housing should be one-off housing, uh, and that's mainly in rural areas, which is a different thing altogether. The fact is, and and people tend to uh, argue against this, but it is a a fact that our spatial patterns over the last number of decades uh, has been the ruination of rural towns and villages. Uh, we've seen a hollowing out. We've seen a lot of dereliction uh, and vacant buildings where, where we already have services provided in these towns and villages in terms of water and sewage and electricity. Uh, and what has happened is that services have been uh, diminished because of the lack of critical mass in these towns and villages. We've we've seen a litany of closure from railway stations to Garda stations to schools to post offices. And this is because of the spatial patterns we have in our rural communities. We need critical mass uh, and there's been a lack of understanding. Ireland is very much an outlier in this. Other countries do not organise their population patterns, their spatial patterns, their planning designs in the way we do in Ireland. And it's to our detriment that we've been doing so. And are there any type of one-off rural housing that you would agree with? There's obviously a need for people uh, living and working in in farms to be in the environment where they're working. I don't think anyone argues with that. But this has been very much uh, something that that has been overemphasized because most of the people living in once-off housing, in rural housing, in rural Ireland, and who are seeking one-off housing are not people in that situation. Uh, And one of the main motivating factors for selling sites for one-off housing is not for family members, but is uh, as a possibility of uh, gaining cash for the landowner. And and that should not be the motivation. That should not be what we plan or or have based our our world planning on. But would you be okay about a family member? I mean, we often hear of, you know, parents wanting to give land to a son or daughter to build a house. Now, they mightn't work. They might, you know, they might still have to commute to work, but they like the idea of living on land in which perhaps they were raised on. And also, it's, there's a cost issue. It's cheaper if mammy or daddy gives you the site for your house. Well, I, I, I think it should be based on, first of all, working there and family connection is obviously an important factor. It, it should also be on the basis of, of building a settlement in and around where, where the uh, the family are located rather than having distance. And, and uh, there are 
many studies that have been done that have shown that there's a, a large degree of cross-subsidization uh, of rural one-off housing that uh, we can't sustain into the future. Now, some of that the householder takes in terms of, and, and there are environmental questions about doing so in terms of uh, wastewater systems uh, and uh, wells for water supplies and things like that. But there are also additional costs in terms of the postal service, in terms of waste management procedures. Uh, and we, we have to have a, a, a degree of planning whereby we, we try to limit the costs for both the state, uh, state authorities and particularly for the householder while benefiting uh, population growth in, in towns and villages, which are the real victims of rural one-off housing over the last number of decades. OK, so explain how, how would you build houses that would support rural development? Well, no one is talking about eliminating one-off housing, but it would need to be a very, very small element, and certainly not one in four of every houses. So there would be a vast reduction, and the circumstances in which such houses would get built and who they'd be built for would have to be very, very limited. But most of them, my own preference would be that we restore a lot of the building stock in the towns and villages that have been let go derelict and vacant and produce as many housing units as we can then. And then you go to the periphery of towns and villages and you increase the population centres. And in doing that, you bring back a lot of the services that have been removed from the towns and villages over the last number of decades. And we reinvigorate life in rural Ireland. OK, a listener wants to know, how, what does uh, Councillor Dan Boyle and the Green Party think about holiday homes? Holiday homes have ruined some of our tourist areas in that there's not enough children to go to the local schools. Post offices have closed. They're just busy during the summer months when people are living in these holiday homes, but then they're empty during the winter. I, I, I think they are a malign factor. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it it's... Uh the owning of a, tele, uh, a holiday home and, and using it for a set number of weeks and during the year is not a very good use of the property or, or the space, uh, and it affects the local communities. Uh, it, it has the negative effect of increasing property prices in those areas in particular, uh, and uh, it's something I think we should be doing uh, in, in terms of uh, the taxation system to make sure that there's a proper social cost for, for the proliferation of holiday homes and people taking a greater responsibility for them when we were in government last week, we, before there was a local property tax, we introduced a second home tax. Uh, and it was, that was one of the motivations. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that uh, with, with the, uh, the Housing for All document coming uh, in a number of weeks' time, that that's one of the things that will be reconsidered as well. Uh, Micah says, hi, uh, Patricia, I completely disagree with Councillor Dan Boyle on rusing rural housing. This is what keeps rural areas alive and vibrant. If you want to regenerate towns and villages, there are thousands of people who are homeless and in bad housing situations. They could be accommodated in these towns with some forward thinking. One-off housing supports local businesses and post offices and local and other shops and schools. Contrary I'm afraid that's to what true. Dan is saying. The opposite is the case. Why are the post offices closing? Why are the guard stations closing? Why are the schools closing? Why are the guard stations closing? It's because there isn't a critical mass in these towns and villages. So one there isn't housing. enough one-off houses? No, no. One-off housing has been the factor in these services being removed. And un- until we can get life back uh, and critical mass back in- into our towns and villages, it's going to be a journey that will continue in the wrong direction. One-off housing is part of the problem. It isn't the solution. 
Okay, so another caller is agreeing with you on the town centre regeneration. We need to do so much about that. So many of our main streets have derelict buildings. When are we going to see action on this? Well, there is a town first policy that the government are going to promote uh, and uh, they... There is going to be incentives. Uh, you know, as a city councillor, uh, I, you know, I, I see it in, in Cork City Centre, far too many buildings that are, are derelict and vacant, uh, and so much potential in, in having people and families living in them. Uh, uh, we, we have to remember the investment that the state has put into these areas in the first place, and to, to allow that investment to, to turn to naught and, and to become a cost to our society is something that we should be ashamed about, and we should be putting more proactive measures in place to stop. Okay, Liam Imbroff is against your uh, suggestion. This is the Green Party uh, idea to have everybody living in towns and uh, villages and not in rural areas. I feel if people want to live where they want to live, they should be able to decide for themselves. Nobody should be telling them where they should be living. Allow people the choice of where they want to live. Well, I, th- I think a choice is very often illusion. Uh, we, we have the choice of ha- driving as big a car as we want, to flying wherever we want to, but choices have consequences. And, and when you make individual choices into collective responsibilities, uh, we, we pay a price for that. Uh, and this is why we have a climate crisis. Now, either we are prepared to take the indiv- individual actions that are needed to deal with the crisis, or we can go through life saying, I can do what I want, how I want, where I want, with whom I want. And I'm afraid we don't have that luxury. Okay, we leave it there. Dan, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Drew. Good morning to you. That is Green Party Cork City Councillor Dan Boyd. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts are coming in. Firstly, on the right of way that we discussed with the solicitor, Karen Walsh, and the changes that are coming in from the 1st of December this year. And it is to do with a piece of legislation that was passed back in 2009, which is a long time ago, and people may even have forgotten that that piece of legislation actually passed. Pat says, I know of a man that used a right of way once a year. The owner tried to stop him and they couldn't stop him, says uh, Pat. Maybe he has his right of way registered already, I wonder. But if he hasn't, I would suggest that that gentleman goes uh, away and gets the right of way, if he has a legitimate claim on it, to get the right of way and get it registered. As Karen explained, you have until the 30th of November because the new legislation kicks in then on the 1st of December. And after that date, the process could become more complex when you're trying to prove that you have a right of way. And one of the obvious ones that will happen and could happen is that if the land say you're trying to sell a parcel of land with a right of way and if the right of way isn't registered the potential buyer then may not be able to get a mortgage and obviously that's going to decrease the cost of the price of land and seemingly banks the banks used to accept what's called a statutory declaration of a right of way when purchasers were, were buying funds, say, to buy farmland. And now it seems they're not going to and they certainly won't be doing it after the 1st of, of December. So I think if you have a right of way, I mean, that's the point that Karen was trying to get across today. If you have a right of way and it's been within your family and you've always used it, then the best thing to do is simply to get to get it registered. And, you know, quite an easy 
way to do it if you're friendly with the person, the neighbour or whoever it is who actually owns the land where your right of way uh, is. It's, it seems to be quite a simple enough procedure. But somebody says, how much does it cost to register right away? I did ask Karen that, but she, she didn't give me an actual sum of money, I suppose. It depends from solicitor to solicitor. I don't know if this. I would suggest checking with your solicitor because you need to go to a solicitor in order to register it. So I would suggest go to a solicitor and find out in advance how much is it going going to uh, cost. And then a number of people commenting on my chat with uh, Dan Boyle of the Green Party and Dan Boyle with the Green Party very much against one-off rural housing even though we have a housing minister at the moment reckons 25% of houses are going to be one-off rural houses uh, but the Greens very much against it and they want people living in villages and towns instead and they are very much against uh, one-off houses. Uh, John says Patricia the Greens do not want anyone to build houses in their own uh, locality they also do not want stoves or open fires and if they had their way we'd all be driving electric cars the cheapest of which says John may I point out is €30,000. What a load of rubbish we would all like to be driving electric cars but not everybody can afford to buy it. Heidi says, oh Patricia the Green Party in my opinion has now got so much clout with government that for sure will never have any rights if they're always listened to. We should all remember that there is another side of the story, also two sides to a coin. I hope I think if they keep pushing these ideas and beliefs on us will forget about the other side of the argument and I have to say I can find nobody in all of the texts that have come in agreeing with what Dan Boyd and the Green Party are saying that we should end one-off rural houses. A lot of people certainly not happy uh, with it. For example, Jur in rural Mallow, as he describes himself, does the Green Party TD, well, it was a councillor, Dan Boyd, think that people living in one-off houses in rural Ireland do not use the local services? We need and use all of the local schools. We need and use the local shops, the post offices and the guard the stations just as much as the people who are living in the nearest towns and villages. That's Jur in rural Mallow. Liz says Codswallop, listening to Dan Boyd, he's talking rot. Try living in the country instead of city pollution. That's what we need members of the Green Party to do. And Michael says Dan clearly doesn't understand how rural Ireland works. He cited that post offices and guard the stations have closed because of one-off rural housing. The reason for post offices and guard the stations and school closures are government's short-sighted decisions. It's scary the way the Green Party think. They will kill off rural areas completely if they have their way and that's from Michael as I say can't find anyone that was agreeing with the Green Party view on an end to one-off rural houses John in Blackpool says advice please must a family member to a nursing home be vaccinated Mm, I don't know I let me see and the restrictions I, I mean again nobody has asked whether you're reg- whether you're vaccinated or not I would assume if you're visiting a loved one in a nursing home because of the vulnerable nature of people living in nursing homes I would assume that you would you would prefer to be vaccinated if you're going in to visit I'm looking down through the restrictions and it doesn't say that you have to be Vaccinated. I mean, it does say, you know, don't go anywhere near a nursing home if you've got any kind of symptoms, not just COVID symptoms, but any kind of, you know, vomiting bugs or anything like that. Don't go anywhere near a nursing home. But I can't see that it says you have to be 
vaccinated. And if anybody wants to tell me when you went to visit a loved one in a nursing home, were you asked if you were vaccinated or not? Because I know when the guidelines came out, whereby nursing home residents may receive up to four visits uh, per uh, week. That was to do with, that was based on the level of vaccination at the nursing home. Once the vaccination levels got to, and in most nursing homes, they're running very close to 100%. So when they felt that the residents were protected, that's when they started opening up the doors and allowing up to four visits per uh, week. It's when they had high levels of vaccination. So as I say, I don't know if anybody can tell me if you've gone to visit a loved one in a nursing home or you vaccinated. I certainly, hand on heart, if I was going to visit a loved one, I would I am vaccinated so I think I would prefer to know I was vaccinated for fear. God, how would you live with yourself if you thought that you brought in a vi- the virus into somebody who was uh, not, vac- not vaccinated or even somebody that was vaccinated. Anyway, if anybody can give John advice, I don't know what John what if John knows that somebody who wants to visit a loved one who isn't vaccinated. Let me know, please. 1850-333-103. Another listener says, Patricia, how many people can attend to the funeral mass? At the moment, we are at, this came in uh, mid-July, 50 mourners can attend a funeral at wakes, either in a house or in a funeral home, should only be attended by family members only. Other gatherings may take place in accordance with public health advice. Fewer people may be allowed to attend if the ceremony is in a small enclosed place. So it went up to 50 mourners and that was in the middle of July. Am I seeing any indication that they're going to raise that number? They may, because from next Monday, we're told, Miguel Martin will announce there will be an increased numbers allowed for indoor and outdoor events and that's going to be for those vaccinated and unvaccinated. So a church is an indoor event. Do we assume that the numbers will increase? Possibly they will. And again, it's going to be very much dependent on the size of the church. That seems to be the way they're leaning towards. I mean, the example that I used earlier when they're talking about sporting events from next month, it's expected that a stadium's capacity can increase to 50%. And I'm assuming they may do something similar with churches and so therefore funerals would be the same. It would be my thinking that if you have a very large church that perhaps can seat 2,000 people, 50% capacity, 1,000 will be allowed in there. But then a smaller church that say only seats 300 people, if they were going with the 50% rule, 150 people would be allowed into it. I imagine it's going to be something like that. But there's no, I can't, at, at the moment, remember, we're just, we're basing it on sources close to the government are, you know, cabinet minister spoke with, that's what we're basing all of the information that we have. We do have to wait for Micheál Martin to address the nation and he'll be doing that after six o'clock today. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. Now, Michael O'Mahony, he's a Rathmore man and he's planning to walk roads in the Rathmore area and it's to raise funds for the air ambulance. It will include walking two to three miles a day to fulfil his 60-mile goal in September. You can support him by taking part in your own area, walk, run, cycle or stroll the 60 miles and you do 60 miles in the month of September. Donations then can be made through Michael O'Mahony's Facebook page or you can contact him on 087 667 6817. 
Castletown Bear Development Association they're, they're driving bingo goes ahead this Friday night 3rd of September earlier time this Friday half past 7 in the car park at the Bear Coast Hotel they've got a jackpot of €1,300 and Kildarry Drive in Bingo that's also on Friday night 8 o'clock Creamery Yard they've extra prizes to celebrate their 6th anniversary and a reminder that Bohobui National School are raffling a beautiful four bedroomed house in Killarney it's to raise funds to build a general purpose room in the school the house will be raffled on New Year's Eve tickets are €100 and they can be purchased online at winyourdreamhousekillarney.com they also so we'll have an August monthly raffle which will take place on the, tonight, Tuesday, 8 o'clock at Boerbury National School. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now, is there an increase in anti-social behaviour on the streets of Cork City? Some people feel there is and some people feel that it's increased during, I'm not saying that the reason for it is the pandemic but it seems to have increased during the pandemic. Joe uh, joins me because he witnessed something yesterday that happened I believe in broad daylight on Patrick Street. If you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In Cork City. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, what time of the day was this? Yeah, approximately a quarter to six. Um, in Patrick Street, um, uh, traffic had built up on either side just outside Waterstones and um, I, I came across an incident where 
two people were in the centre of the street holding up traffic, um, smashing what appeared to be like some kind of road signage or maybe a traffic sign, and repeatedly doing it, um, arguing. Apparently they'd been fighting earlier, and it went on for about 15 minutes. I didn't see any um, guards in that intervening period, and as I said, it was quite a backlog of traffic on both sides. A few buses, numerous taxis, cars, and um, a lot of people looking on as well. And eventually, a number of guys cleared the debris from the street and uh, traffic started to move just after 6 o'clock. So I came on the incident about quarter to 6 and left at 6. But I gather after 6 o'clock, the guards did come on the scene and one man was arrested. So there were two guys just beating the living daylights out of each other, but they were doing it on the middle of Patrick Street. On the middle of Patrick Street and, and repeatedly smashing this, um, what appeared to be a sign that had kind of disintegrated into pieces by the time I came on the scene. And um, it just seemed to be a bit chaotic. Um, you know, you might see incidents at night, maybe when people are boisterous after a lot of drink, but to see this in, in, in broad daylight yeah. at the peak traffic time in the city centre um, was a bit surreal, really, and a bit bizarre. And nobody tried to intervene, or, or were, do you think people were just too afraid to intervene? The guy looked very, very pumped up. Um, right. One of the guys in particular, so I think people wouldn't have been too keen on... Um, I know, getting involved. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd say it would have been quite scary for elderly people or, or people shopping with children. Um, and tourists looking in as well wouldn't have been overly enamoured to see that. So it was a, a bit of an unsavoury sight, but it was surprising that the, the guards took so long to come on the scene. Because I'm assuming, I mean, if the traffic was at a standstill while these two guys were beating the living daylights out of each other, I'm assuming there was a number of phone calls to the guard. You would would imagine that the buses uh, maybe would have um, radioed in, taxi drivers, somebody was surely going to um, notify the guardy because everyone was, you know, blaring on their their horns. Um, So there was a little bit of bedlam there for about 15 minutes. Trying to get them to stop. Yeah, and maybe just hopefully that they'd move on and allow the traffic to get back um, moving. And uh, normally Monday wouldn't be particularly busy in the in, in the city centre, but um, that just caused a bit of disruption uh, for that for for that period. And I know earlier in the year we had um, Jerry Bottomer, the, the Senator Jerry Bottomer, yeah. raised uh, antisocial behaviour in in the Shannon. I think back in May, and uh, his primary. Concern at the time was maybe the amount of young people coming into the city centre drinking at night. There'd been some antisocial behaviour on the Grand Parade and around the courthouse. I remember that, yeah. And I think Thomas Gould, the TD for Cork North Central, had also um, raised this issue as well. I think two weeks earlier, but I think he might have been referring more to suburban Cork and antisocial behaviour. So it seems to be very prevalent. you know, Cork, there's a danger maybe that Cork could become like Dublin, parts of Dublin. The boardwalk in Dublin has become synonymous with antisocial behaviour. It was originally intended to be a, a tourist destination and maybe a, an area for um, local people to relax and enjoy uh, the, the area. But that that would be a concern for Cork. Um, other major cities you see in the UK are blighted by antisocial behaviour. Cities like Manchester spring to mind. I was in Luton recently and, again, it was very synonymous with um, that area, antisocial behaviour being a regular feature of everyday life. They become no-go areas then for 
decent people who decide I'm not going anywhere near that and there, that would be the danger that we would, we would get that reputation and people would decide and then everybody suffers and certainly the businesses in the city centre would suffer because of that. They would and it's a shame because the, the city has been burgeoning through the summer, you know, the areas like Princess Street which look fantastic with all the outside dining. That, that was one of the features of the summer. Uh, Patrick Street outside uh, Public Le Chateau looked very um, looked very European yeah, the sunshine yeah. during the summer. But when you see instances like this, they can they can kind of spoil what, what has otherwise been a big success story for for Cork City. And I know Cork City Council have recognised the fact that antisocial behaviour is a, an ongoing problem going forward. I think, and no, there was no Gardaí on the beach. I mean, it's not the if there was Gardaí patrolling around. I, I mean, I mean, physically on the beach. That yeah, situation yeah. could have been diffused very quickly. Yeah, obviously they have cameras and they're aware of what's going on in the city and maybe they moved eventually when they spotted this incident on camera. But I think there's nothing like the presence of Gordy in the area. It, it just encourages people that, um, you know, that law and order is going to be maintained. And, you know, we have heard that there are less Gordy on the beach in Cork. That's been well highlighted, I think, over the last year or so. We know we're, we're expecting Micheál Martin later on today you know, to talk about returning to the office and that's going to be from the 20th of September and obviously that will bring more people into the city. Do you think that will help in some ways to have people back at work? I think it will. Um, you know, certain certain parts of the city, you know, we associate the South Mall uh, as an area where, you know, you, you see people... It, it, you, you'd have noticed them in coffee shops around the area, people who are working, and maybe they haven't been as um, prevalent with a lot of them working from home. So I think it would be good to have people back in, in the city centre. It just adds to what has been a busy summer already for um, the, the outdoor restaurants and, and now back, I suppose, up and running in their indoor guys again. So I, I think overall, while this was a negative incident, there's been a lot of positives to be gleaned from the way the outdoor dining has mm. kind of been a success story during the summer. and The amount of people, Joe, who've commented to me about, particularly when we had the really good weather and during that little bit of a heat wave that we had a number of weeks ago, the amount of people that said that when they were in the city, the atmosphere was fantastic and to see people out having meals, having a few drinks and enjoying themselves. And that's exactly the kind of image we want for our beautiful city. It is, and I think a lot of people I know who visited Cork had a great experience here, people from other counties, um, and it's great to see because usually we hear people talking about great weekends in Killarney and Kilkenny yeah, and Galway, yeah. and Cork never really kind of figures on the on the map as a as a perceived tourist destination for, for people from other counties, but people who visited Cork this summer, I think, have had a great experience. So it would be a shame if unsavoury incidents like yesterday were to become a common feature. Um, and, you know, some people would say that was an isolated incident yesterday, but there have been reports of uh, other, you know, instances of antisocial behaviour in the city centre. Obviously, um, drugs are a problem in Cork City. There's a heroin epidemic. And every day, you know, it's very visible to the naked eye to see, you know, disillusioned young people who afflicted with heroin addiction wandering around the city. So that's an ongoing problem, but... Uh, you, you know, you can't attribute um, the blame for antisocial behaviour to 
all people suffering from addiction either. No, uh, no, indeed you can't. Indeed, indeed you can't. Michael says Joe is 100% uh, right. We do not have enough Gardaí on our city streets. We always seem to lose out when Gardaí are allocated out to Templemore. And you, we've heard others say that, including members of Angarda Siakona, haven't we, Joe? We have. Um, unfortunately, Cork doesn't seem to get the, the quota, the desired quota. And um, I think that was kind of evident as well when Jerry Butterman made his remarks about the uh, volume of young people who'd kind of, uh, there'd been an influx into the city centre, became a feature of the summer. And there had been some unsavoury incidents. And again, maybe there wasn't enough guardy around to prevent that. But um, hopefully going forward, that's a problem that can be eradicated. OK. All right, uh, Joe. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Cheers, Patricia. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, and you have a good day too. 1850 103. And just to, uh, Liz has contacted us by text to say she had a kind of a strange call from her local credit union uh, last night. Uh, she said, she described the person on the phone was being very pushy. It was to do with fees and asking her to make a decision there. And then she was supposed to call me straight back, but she didn't. I'm wondering, is it a scam call? I don't know if credit unions ring people in the evening time to me. They work nine to five, so I don't know if they've got extra staff in at the evening time. What I would suggest you do, Liz, is contact your local credit union, tell them and make them aware of the call you got and they certainly will be able to tell you one way or the other if they rang you or not. But yeah, to me, that smacks to me of that it was some kind of a scam call. And Alan, this is um, Dan Boyle of the Greens. Says, Hi Patricia, does Dan Boyle not realise what happens when you put lots and lots of lots of people all living so close together in built up areas. It's a breeding ground for the spread of sickness and disease. Has the last year and a half of this pandemic not taught us anything? If nothing else, it should show us that we should be spreading out and moving out into more rural areas. That's from Alan. Thanks, Alan, to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, and, Patricia. And we're picking up on a piece that we started last week about happiness. We got down as far as forgiveness and we're going to pick it up in, on gratitude in just a moment. But firstly, before we do that, you want to give a final shout out to a guy who has do, who's doing a fundraiser for CUH. Absolutely. CUH, um, Haematology and the Stem Cell Transplant Unit in University Hospital, Galway. This guy is a bit of a miracle. Um, in 2015, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. I'm talking now about Robert, or Robbie O'Leary from Kinsale. And, um, you know, six years later, he's still not alone going, but going strong. And um, he decided anyway that he would do a virtual walk covering the 188 kilometres um, uh, which would be from uh, the uh, University Hospital in Galway uh, to the CUH um, transplant unit in uh, in in Cork. So um, he has done that over the month of July, and um, the fundraising is going extremely well. They're up now to thirty thousand, and. Um, so they've extended the, uh, the the opportunity for people to donate for such a brilliant cause um, uh, to uh, the 17th of September. 
And uh, the place to get in on that is to uh, www.idonate.ie forward slash Robbie's Walk. Okay, 30,000. So, I forward slash Robbie's Walk. Okay, and well done, um, well a done to Robbie. brilliant enterprise. Yeah, and, th- and 30,000 euro, an incredible sum of money. A lot yeah. of reasons for both of the hospitals who will be the beneficiaries uh, to yeah. be grateful for. And that's where we're picking up our talk on happiness today. Gratitude and how being grateful can actually make us happy. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are certain conflicting um, ways of thinking that cannot live together. And um, if we are feeling gratitude about A or B or C or all of ABC, um, well, then uh, we are in a good place mentally. Um, and therefore, it's, far, it's, it's extremely helpful um, to, to feel gratitude. Um, you've probably, we've probably talked before, but I mean, it's well documented. Um, people would have written about the value of each night. Um, it's often suggested to write down three things that you're grateful for uh, during that day. And it needn't be that we won the lotter. Um, it needn't be something extraordinary. It can be, you know... Um, I I had three meals today. Uh, I have a bed to uh, climb into tonight. And, um, you know, I I was able to put on my own socks this morning kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be uh, something extraordinary. In fact, it can be something quite ordinary, but maybe things that we take for granted that we don't think about. I I Um, saw a beautiful sunset or I spotted a nice flower in the garden or I got out for a walk. It can be be the smallest of of things. And, And even writing a letter to somebody and giving thanks. Yes. Yes, if 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 you um, kind of uh, reflect for a few minutes on people who either are or were in your life, and you know that you haven't been in touch, maybe for a short while or maybe for years, and um, to pop off an old text, uh, just wondering how you are, um, can give a lift to the receiver. But it also gives a great lift to the sender. Mm. We talk, do you remember we talked before about that neurotransmitter oxytocin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, oxytocin is, we'll say, a feel-good um, uh, neurotransmitter in the, in the, in the brain. Um, and um, when we do something which is kind or good, or whatever the adjective one wants to use is, we get a little um, shot of oxytocin. Yeah, you get a little bit of a lift. I mean, even last week, I 
had some um, elderly family members up in, in Northern Ireland who unfortunately both vaccinated but both contracted uh, COVID and we were all very worried about them. Now, thankfully they're all fine thanks to thanks to being vaccinated for sure. But I was sending uh, one of those mass bouquets, those get well mass bouquets because um, they're quite a religious couple and I, and I knew they'd re- I'd appreciate it. And I threw in a few scratch cards because I think there's nothing better when you open up a card and something falls out of it and they, they won a few bob on it and, and everything. But, but then that prompted them to ring me and we had a lovely conversation over the weekend and uh, and it was just I came away feeling good for mm. something that was little or nothing for me to do but it gave them a little bit of a lift at a time when they needed a little bit of a lift and it just it just made me feel good it was the weirdest thing for to do something as simple as that yeah and you know the way we can often be um, we have great intentions I know. like um, gee I must contact that person or yeah. oh gee I should send a cow there and then we don't do it sometimes no you did you did it and that's not what makes the difference I mean you put the um, you you put the card and a few scratch cards um, in the went envelope. to the post office, got the stamp and popped it into the letterbox. There you go, <laughs> and that's what it took. Um, yeah, but it was know, it was very it was very little up. it was very little thing to do. But it just it it's just it's 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 what you can do for somebody else and it's and I know even here at work every now and again we'll get you know thank you cards for whatever or even a text message from a listener because they, they've won a prize and it's you know it's just it's the fact that somebody thought about t- saying thank you there's, there is there's something lovely in it so let, let's all there remember is. let us all remember to be grateful for what we have in our own lives but also to give gratitude uh, to others now meaningful activities how does this yeah. make us happy well, you see, it can be something like um, uh, in conjunction with others, like being part of the tidy towns um, uh, effort, or uh, being—I um, don't know—you uh, know, some friends of mine would be in the in the local choir in the church in Boerbury, and they are excellent. They, you know, they they lift us all with their beautiful hymns and so to do that they had to join the choir um, uh, there was a lady talking to me very recently um, about her garden that um, you know it's a place where she finds absolute peace, tranquility her spirits um, are lifted when she goes there, remember we talked before about flow mm-hmm. um, uh, it's written quite a lot about in psychological journals and whatever. Um, it just means being 100% engrossed in what you're doing. Now, whether that's uh, sewing um, uh, uh, a little outfit for a newborn baby or whether it's uh, being out in the garden or whether it's whatever. Um, you know, when we're there, we're not all over the place. We are not anywhere else. And that is um, so, so beneficial because um, you know the way we can go through our day and one little worry flits in and another little thing flits in and another little thought flits in. And it takes, and, over. Um, it takes over your thought pattern uh, for the day. You yeah. know, it can, it, can, it can mean a very, uh, you're a very unsettled day. And we all have them. Um, you know, uh, I've been going through a bit there recently um, uh, about, you know, 
did I do that and did I do the other thing and I must do that and um, do you know what I I, I just um, I wish I wasn't a gardening <laughs> in, order, in order just to blank everything else out of your mind yeah, now uh, having having meaning in life this is this is spirituality this is not necessarily if you're religious it's great but we're not necessarily talking about somebody who goes to the church every day or who is very religious yeah you know, you'd often see ads there. Now, I, I don't know much about them, but you'd see lots of ads for um, body, mind and soul um, uh, movements or, or whatever the word is. Or there might be something on, I think I remember one time when life was normal in City Hall in Cork, um, uh, a body, mind and soul uh uh, event, their weekend events they're fantastic and they look at all different, there you go. They look that, at all, that, all no. different kinds of spirituality yeah. and meditation yeah. and yoga and yeah yeah healing yeah. And, yeah. so you notice that the, the soul bit was in it now there is a dimension to the human being um, of a connection with um, uh, with, with our spirit and um, whether in a religious sense, which is great, um, uh, or whether in just um, a rather unnamed, vague um, uh, awareness of, uh, we'll say, a higher power, um, that can be absolutely, oh, wow, it can be one of the strongest um, ways of, um, I suppose, healing and nurturing our soul. And um, I was reading an article there during the week. It was a letter about recovery. Um, it was on last Sunday's uh, Sunday Independent in the letters. Um, it was actually the um, the letter of the week. And uh, it was actually about Coenvira and Brewery. Um, and and uh, uh, it was written by a guy who is sober now. I can't remember the exact details, but something like 16 or 18 years and he was, you know, giving a bit of thanks uh, back to um, Coenvira. And, he, you know, he was, uh, he, he was emphasizing the spiritual part of recovery. I would go along with that 110%. Um, I, I, I think it's the, it's the greatest um, uh, tool uh, in the recovery from an addiction. In fact, I think the recovery from addiction is, you know, triply, quadruply, much more difficult unless that one has an awareness of higher power. I agree. I absolutely. And yeah. Everybody needs to believe in something, whatever that something and, is. And I've yeah. often said and that. And it, it can be organised religion, but it's not organised religion for everybody. But you just need to believe in something. No, you got it, because yeah. um, I'd often sit down with someone now, and if you kind of uh, broach that kind of an area of living, um, the person might kind of put a hand up an object and say, hold on now, I'm, I'm not a bit religious, I don't go to any church or chapel, or, and, and I would say, well, look, um, do you believe in, we put a choice down, uh, uh, you know, I believe in something, or I believe in nothing. And almost, yeah, yeah, 100% of the time a person would say, well, look, I believe in something, but I just don't know what it is. And I would say, but sure, that's grand. I mean, that fits, um, uh, you know, they used to have a, a joke in, in AA one time. Um, <laughs> it was um, 
we welcome people. Uh, there are some people in the fellowship who believe in God. There are some people in the fellowship who don't believe in God. And they all recover. And then there are some people who think that they are God. <laughs> and they don't have a great chance. <laughs> and and happy people are are we born happy? Do we do we inherit the characteristic of happiness? Because you know the way we all know people who are always seem to be happy. The people you always want to be around because they're just so positive. I think happy people. And then likewise, we all know people who can be just a little bit miserable all the time and never seem to be happy, no matter what what they do. And I'm often wondering, is that an inherited characteristic? Well, you know the old argument, if that's the word argument, or theories about nature versus nurture. Like this, are we formed by our, um, our rearing, as it were, our childhood and our experiences, or do we simply inherit certain character traits? And um, uh, I was reading recently that um, the kind of accepted wisdom on that um, w- would be that 50% of our potential for happiness uh, comes from inherited character traits okay. and childhood experiences, in other words, um, uh, right? And then um, that 50% comes from ourselves as individuals. Mm. So I suppose, like, the way we live and the attitudes that we adopt, and especially, I think, our experiences, um, that we can look on. Again, we're back to the oxytocin. Um, uh, that, you know, if we wish our fellow, fellow man, fellow woman, fellow person, if we wish people well, and if we are doing our best to just, nothing extraordinary, but, you know, just... Um, living in a kind of a spirit of of goodwill, I I, I think that um, definitely uh, engenders uh, happiness. Um, whereas if we are resentful and um, jealous and um, uh, you know comparing ourselves ourselves to others, yeah, are criti- always constantly criticizing people, are always seeing the worst in everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that like, um, uh, say some event is on, there could be 99 things good, there could be one thing that wasn't maybe perfect, and as sure as God, some people will we'll pick, pick up on, on the one the thing that one isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we all know people like that. We literally all know uh, people like that. So th- the secret to being happy is to discover and follow what makes you happy. You could not possibly put it better to, to, to know what makes you happy and to live that way. Well said. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that just about sums it up in yeah. a, in a nutshell. Because even this yeah. morning with Ken on, on the breakfast show, he was doing, he does these really quirky surveys about, you know, what makes people happy. And it was this, you know, the small, you know, one of the main ones that makes people happy is being around friends. But the very top of the list was a, was a freshly made bed to get into a freshly made bed, mm-hmm. you know, at the mm-hmm. end of a day and, mm-hmm. you know, good day and have a freshly made bed. It's the small things. It wasn't the lottery win, as, as he even said mm-hmm. himself. He was expecting somebody to say, oh, well, maybe happy, oh, a big lottery win. It's mm-hmm. not always that. It's the, it's the smaller things. I find that when I get into bed every night, I, I, I always feel, um, 
Yeah, the, I feel good that the day is done and now I can rest, maybe have a read of a book. And um, yeah, I, I, I go along with that now yep. 100%. Absolutely. Listen, let's all have a, have, a, have a great day and be grateful for everything we have around us. We're grateful yeah. to have you on the programme, Joe. Thank you for that. And we'll chat again next Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good bless. morning to you. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a council practice in Bohabui. His mobile number is 086 8348145. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara. We're grateful to him for producing Nick Richards' it's for the afternoon. And we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Until that, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.